You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? You are rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, on an all-new episode of the Decoding Success Podcast. And for some odd reason, it feels like I have not recorded a podcast in forever. Meanwhile, I do them weekly. But we are bringing to you another special individual, someone that I'm very close with, someone that I actually work with, someone that has done transformational work for the people around me nonetheless. And that's exactly why I wanted to bring her on this show, to be able to amplify her story, her journey, and her message to all of you today. Now, we are joined by my friend Ashton Cantu, certified transformational life coach, certified leadership coach, and speaker. It is her absolute mission to help people thrive, and I'm telling you, she does exactly that. She is committed to bringing positive energy, compassion, and tenacity to serve as a catalyst to the elevation of your life, your relationships, and your performance. She's doing exactly that here today, people. I am so excited to be able to amplify her message and you want to know what, I want to give a huge shout out to Ashton because she's bringing such vulnerability to this show. Like the story she's telling, man, this is what people resonate with. And to be able to amplify that to all of you, it really is something truly special. So right out of the gate, I'm going to ask you to make sure that you're connecting with her. You could do so in the show notes of this episode. She's an amazing soul to follow on social. Personally, I have her everywhere, but on Instagram, she's always pumping out valuable content that's totally free nonetheless. And of course, if you're interested, go over to her website, check out her programs, check out what she can offer you as well. And I'm telling you this before you even hear her, because when you hear her, I already know you're going to want to check out her stuff. But now without further ado, we bring to you our friend Ashton Cantu. Ashton, finally, I will start off by saying that I am super excited to finally have you on the show. I know we've been trying to make this happen for quite some time and timing is everything, right? So I appreciate you hopping on here. Really grateful for you taking time out of your day to join. So thank you for being here. I'm stoked. Like you said, we've been kind of, we've been waiting on this for a few months now and I had to do some reschedules, but I think it's prime time. You and I have both grown exponentially. So we just have that much more value to bring. That's exciting. It is. It is very exciting. Awesome. So first question for you, this is how we kick off every show. I'm curious to learn how you personally define success. Ah, (laughs) okay. So I'm sure you've heard this Tony Robbins quote, but he says success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So for me, success is fulfillment. It is the actual fulfillment that makes me feel successful, right? So within that, that's contribution. So it's alignment to my core values. So one being contribution, one being growth, one being impact, fun, expansion. Those are some of the core values that I operate from that bring me fulfillment. And in turn, when I'm living from those places, I feel successful. Awesome. I love that. So I, you might've already answered this, but I was going to ask you, what is fulfillment to you? Is it, um, contribution, impact, growth, expansion, et cetera, or is it something different? I think it's the feeling of aliveness that comes in by living into those core values, right? By living into the core values of contribution, impact, growth, fun, um, the expansive feeling tone that comes in, that comes through me, and that aliveness that comes through me, that is what fulfillment feels like to me. 
Okay. I love that. So talk to me about how you actually got to this point, right? Because, you know, one thing that I find very interesting is how people continuously develop and transform and and their Mm -hmm. definitions of things, you know, grow and whatever else. So I'm curious, like who was Ashton in high school? We'll start there. I'm not, I don't want to take you all the way back to the womb. I I don't need to know that far back, but I'm curious, like who was Ashton in high school? Uh, Ashton was all over the board in high school. I went from being class president and team captain, you know, winning the sportsmanship award, upper homecoming queen and things like that, um, to taking a very drastic downward spiral. Um, you know, I would say a byproduct of some things that were going on in my family, divorce, uh, lack of consistency in my home. But what that led to was just me wilding out. I, I went into a full blown rebellion and became my own worst enemy. And at that time I had been diagnosed with anxiety panic disorder, but I wasn't uh, medicated for that. I'm not now either. And that's another story that we can maybe talk about. It really was, I think, uh, environmental and just dealing with some of the things that were going on in my home, but I didn't really know how to cope with those things. So I ended up using quite a bit. I was drinking and drugging a lot, but you know, by the age of 17, I landed myself in rehab for not addiction, but for drug abuse. I was just like pushing every extreme limit and getting caught, getting in trouble and really putting myself in in really dangerous situations like getting hospitalized and things like that. So high school was a ride. It, It was, you know, on the outside, what people saw was this young girl who had a ton of potential and all the world at her fingertips. But on the inside, I was very broken, lost, and, and really struggling to cope with the things that I was dealing with internally. Right. I appreciate the vulnerability and transparency. I, I, I'm a firm believer that's how people learn and that's how people resonate. So I just want to say thank you for that. And that brings me to a point like, what would you tell Ashton at 17 now? Like, you know, looking back on it, I know you're a totally different woman. I've hung out with you. I've worked with you. So like, you're, you're totally different. Um, I'm really curious, like what you would say to Ashton at 17. I think the number one thing is it's okay to feel. I was so afraid of my emotions. I did anything to numb them, anything. Um, Whether that be an adrenaline junkie or doing drugs or alcohol or, you know, relate like, pouring myself into toxic relationships, whatever it was, I was escaping. I was escaping what I was dealing with. So I would say, have the courage to feel and face it, face everything, like literally head on. It's a lot easier said than done to do that though. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, I've been in my feels as of late, just from like all the growing I've been doing. And Uh it's not easy to, to feel the emotions Mm -hmm. of sadness and um, anger and even, even maybe even rage comes up and just like all these things. So like, you know, it's one thing to say, it's another thing to live it. How do you live it? Uh, well, now I consciously create space for that. So I, I create a mo- like can, a safe container for myself to have emotional release, right? Because the other thing is, is once I stopped uh, running and escaping with drugs and alcohol, it's just, and I'm sure many people listening could at least identify with this, if that wasn't their choice, you know, there's any, any distraction is, is the way out, right? The cell phone, the relationship overworking. So it was just all this avoidance and the only way out is through. So by creating specific time and containers for me to express, for example, boxing, like actually having a healthy outlet for that anger and, and not just when I, not as a reactive thing, 
not waiting until I was angry to release, but choosing to release and seeing what came out like on a weekly basis. Like for a while there, I was actually doing nine rounds and, and really allowing myself to go there and creating the space for that. When I was grieving, I had, I um, called off my engagement a couple of years ago and it was, it was a hard hit, but you know, I knew at that point in my life that the only way I was through. So I created conscious space every single day, every single day I carved out like 30 minutes to an hour to just go there and feel and cry and grieve. Most people don't do that. We're so conditioned to just stuff it down, to move through. So it's really uncomfortable, but you don't die. It's like that little like, Asian guy that's like, but did you die? No, you don't <laughs> die. <laughs> you don't. And then you feel so much freaking better. So when you realize that the benefit of that is feeling better and you're not going to end up leaking out on other people. So I also realized what it was costing me to avoid because I was spilling out. Right. I was, you know, people do it in all kinds of ways, irritability, lashing out at people, road rage, whatever. For me, I, anger was something that would, that would bubble to the surface. And especially because I was working so hard on moving out of old patterns and being my best self, I, when I suppressed, it just was like a volcano. So it, I realized that it wasn't only in my best interest to, to feel and do, but it was really in the highest good of everybody involved. Right. I love that. So first and foremost, you look jacked right now in like the best way possible. I wouldn't want to go nine rounds with you. I will say that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm really curious, you know, as a guy, I'm, I'm a guy's guy. I cried twice over like the course of the past two months and it was awesome. And then yesterday, it's so funny we're talking about this because yesterday I wanted to cry t two other times. Um, and I was, I guess, forcing it in a way. Like I'm trying to understand how I could let this out. And obviously I hope, or I, I know that there's going to be people listening to this that, that want to let it out too. Maybe they won't say it publicly like I'm doing it now, but I'll give you two examples. One was... I was on my bike and I started thinking about my grandmother who passed away and I'm about to do this psychic thing. Um, that's a whole okay. other story, but okay. I had like my own like intuition that came over me and told me like, Hey Matt, when you go to this psychic, you're going to have a message from your grandmother. And that just came to me on a random bike ride. And what's crazy is I wanted to cry in that moment. Like I felt the tears like right here, but they didn't come out. And then that night, yesterday night, I was driving my car and I saw someone fall down on a corner and I was driving toward them. And as I got there, I pulled my car into the intersection. People are just looking at this poor old lady laying on the ground with her dog and she just couldn't get up. So I stopped my car in the intersection. I got out. I literally asked her, hey, do you want help? Obviously, with this whole COVID thing going around, I didn't know if she would right. feel some type of way. So I didn't want to just approach her. I asked her and she wanted help. I helped her up. And in that moment, I'm like, holy shit, is this like a sign for my grandma? I wanted to cry again, you know, but it doesn't come out all the time. I don't know if that's because we suppress so much that. Um, you know, I'm just curious, like, how do you get that out? How do you get it out of you? Uh, sometimes I just go sit in the quiet, like uh, I love nature. Nature is a really good space for me to kind of let my guard down. Um, it, I think it's about creating, like I said, creating the container, like giving yourself a safe place to feel mm. right. Because in that moment, like you being vulnerable in front of that person, probably subconsciously you were like, no, this isn't a safe place to, to, to be seen like this. Mm. So sometimes it's about having somebody that, that you feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable in front of. But one thing that is, is an easy kind of trigger point for me is like just going out in nature and getting into that relaxed state 
and asking myself, how am I really? How am I really? How am I really? What would come up for you right now if you asked yourself that? Um, pretty, I think I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I, because I'm, like I said, I'm in a different space now. My practice and my intentionality around being in tune with my emotions is so much stronger. My keen sense of awareness around my emotional guidance system is like really locked in. So I'm, I'm, I'm engaging with that, like in a, almost like a daily walk, right? Like a conscious awareness of like, I'm always asking that now. Like, how am I doing? How am I really? And those check-ins, I was actually talking to to Juan the other day or yesterday we were on a call and we're just talking about like doing those check-ins because that's how I know to go meditate. That's how I, so like if I'm in the middle of a work day and I'm starting to feel anxious, like I'm, I'm tuning into that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to execute at the level I know I can from this feeling of like overwhelm or anxiety. So what do I need? So that's the next question. Like, what do I need? And sometimes what you need is an emotional purge. Sometimes what you need is, is to go meet a need, right? Some self-care, some exercise. So how am I really? And making that just a daily practice of checking in with yourself. We're so used to asking of other people to take care of us. Like, oh, this, like, especially in relationships, this person's not meeting my needs. Have you asked yourself what you need <laughs> and are you giving it to yourself? So I think that's a, that's a big way to just tune into it. Right. Awesome. So what was Ashton's like moment where she changed her life? Like, was it a rock bottom moment? I mean, you, you told us Ashton at 17, like what happens after that? Gosh, man, it was not like a rock bottom. It was like a rock bottom after a rock bottom after a rock bottom. Because healing's not linear, right? And, and what ended up coming to the surface in my later 20s is just understanding the trauma that I had been through as a child and the abuse that I had endured and how that actually impacted my self-worth and that being kind of the fundamental root. So I hadn't actually dealt with the root of that. Although after getting out of rehab, you know, didn't really mess with drugs like that anymore. It wasn't even really a thing. It was just an escape mechanism. So that moved into college and I was a high performer always. So going into college, doing well, but I was still drinking. And I got in trouble um, a couple times in college for drinking. I landed myself in jail a couple of times and uh, pulled myself out of that. It was like I would take, you know, two steps forward and 10 steps back. And then after college, you know, I got my first job. I was teaching first grade. I was coaching basketball. I had a modeling contract. I was moving all over the Midwest, doing all these great modeling gigs, working with Tim Tebow and Mike Matthews and Aaron Rodgers. And I was waiting tables on the weekend just for fun money. And I was at the top of my game, 3.9 GBA in grad school. And then one night I got slipped a date rape drug. And, um, had a very adverse reaction to it. Once again, ended up getting arrested um, and waking up in jail with bruises all over my body, cuts all over my body, not knowing what happened. And at that point, you know, my self-esteem went from here, that pride that I had of all the work that I had done to get where it was just, whew, and it dropped me right back down to those stories and those labels that had been put on me when I was a teen that I was a mess up and F up was really what it was, that I was never going to make it to college to gear me towards a vocational school, that I was going to end up one of three places, jails, institutions, or death. And uh, my family at that point, not all of them, but a couple of key people in my life uh, really just not disowned me, but um, they'd lost their belief in me again. Mm. And it was like all the work that I had done to come to that point, it was like, they just dismissed it and it sucked because it was an accident. Like I, there was, I didn't, I got, I got slipped a drug 
you know, and my boyfriend ended up dumping me. So from that place of just not feeling worthy, getting rejected by my family and feeling like a failure and then getting, you know, left by a boyfriend, I attracted from that level of worth. I jumped right back into a relationship with a guy I barely knew. I ran away from my problems. I was 25 and 31 now. Um, I convinced him to move to Texas. We moved to Texas. Uh, I did not have a job. So there I am sitting with the master's degree, not working, literally a little bit in depression, but I started numbing again, started using again, just pop, but still it was enough to take the edge off and really just kind of, you know, dim my thinking or give me uh, the brain fog that I that I, that would cloud my judgment, right? I needed to do next. So I wasn't making any strides. And the unfortunate thing is this guy ended up having borderline personality disorder. So it ended up being an abusive relationship, one where he picked me up on my throat and choke slammed me. And I ended up having to, I chose to, and this was the pivotal moment. It wasn't the end, but it was a pivotal moment where I chose like, Hey, like, no, like, I, this is this is the death part, right? When he says, I'm coming home and you're about to see the meanest mother ever you've ever seen in your entire life. And I'm going to tie your dog to the shit most to die. It was kind of like, oh, yep, I got to get out of here. So from there, I just had some miracles happen. I was able to get a job waiting tables. It was a rough start in Texas. I was working six to seven days a week for several months and not even making enough money to get my nails done. Like just the, the lifestyle that I had in Indy was just gone. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it stripped away all those false identities. It stripped away all the things that I thought that I was, and it made me take a hard look in the mirror. And, um, it led me to my purpose, you know, from that space, I started going to church again. I started leading women's groups and then I, I went and I volunteered at a uh, battered women's shelter and she said, I've been praying for you. You were born to be a blessing. Come to my event next weekend. So I show up and when I get there, she introduces me as her uh, new board member. I didn't have anything going on. I had two people in my life, Chris and Marty, who helped rescue me. They used to stand, they were 78 and 80 years old. And Chris was a retired DEA agent, CIA and DEA. Or how do you say it? CIA. What's the other one? DEA? DEA is det- detective. Um, FBI? He, he was the whole shebang, like the drugs and the CIA. Okay. So he would stand at the bottom every day when I was getting my stuff while that guy was at work. He would stand at the bottom with his gun and I would run up three flights of stairs and gather as much stuff as I could and load it into their suburban. So these are the people that I'm spending my time with. They're, they're just this elderly couple that literally took me in. So when she introduced me as the board of directors, I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I need something. Like, yeah, I'm here for it. So that's where I started the work. I started ba- uh, mentoring ironically enough, women who had been um, battered women or women who were in drug rehabilitation, two places that I had been. So that kind of, that's what, that's what sparked my interest in my passion and my purpose and service. Yeah. So talk to me about, you know, you, you said a lot there again, I'm really grateful yeah. for you even sharing that. Talk to me about taking the two steps forward and the 10 backwards, because this is something you taught me. Did you feel like that was an upper limit thing or was it something else? I think, yes, I think it absolutely was an upper limit thing. You know, it's for those of you listening, like an upper limit is basically when you hit your ceiling, you hit your capacity of of what you are really able to tolerate as far as what feels good. So when things start getting really, really good, let's say you get a promotion or, you know, you've you've hit your next level of income uh, stream or you're in a relationship 
is another word for self-sabotage. And sometimes that happens subconsciously. Like things just happen. You end up attracting a situation because in your mind, in the back of that, that, that subconscious mind, there's a part of you that's like, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of this. So I think for sure, I think for sure every time that I would, I would hit up against these upper limits, it really was that self-sabotage of, of in the back of my mind feeling like this is, this feels too good. Like, nope, let's find a way to mess it up. Yeah. Talk to me about rewiring that subconscious, right? Like, what does that look like? I know it's not something that happens overnight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious, like, is there any science behind how long it does actually take? What's the process of actually doing it, et cetera? I'm not going to throw any stats at you because I don't have them like here, but I will tell you that if you try to do it consciously through affirmations, it's going to take like forever long comparatively speaking to methods such as like psyche hypnotherapy or EMDR therapy. And there are other healing modalities such as like plant medicine, things like that. So there are ways to hack the subconscious and expedite your healing because all of this actually stems from a wound of some kind. And when we think of wounds or we think of trauma, a lot of people think like, well, I didn't go any through anything serious. But as a child, your brain doesn't really know the difference between a big T trauma and a little T trauma, right? A little T trauma could just simply be you, you know, being out in the, the front of your living room, like, hey, mom, hey, dad, look at me. And your parents not giving you any validation, not giving you any approval. And then you feeling like, oh, I'm not enough. So then you're seeking your whole life, the validation approval of others, because it was something that you did not get. So, you know, you can go straight to the root of those things through some deeper therapies, not, not counseling. We're not talking about stewing in the problem. We're talking about actually literally peeling back the layers and figuring out what was, where that stems from in the first place. Uh, but I think coaching is a very effective method as well, because we also can start to work on the conscious level, right? Of just rewiring and rewriting the narratives. Because what happens is this, this neutral event happens in our life or this something happens in our life. And then we do, we do this thing where we make it mean something about us. Well, so what did I make that mean about me when I got slipped that drug and, it, and I had that downward spiral? I made it mean that I wasn't good enough. I made it mean that I was an F up. And then from that story, from that narrative, I lived out the patterns that matched the beliefs. Right. Yeah, that's, it's so powerful when you frame it like this. So bring me back to the moment in which you found your passion and, you know, it doesn't happen for everyone like that. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is number one, that's beautiful that it, it kind of, it wasn't like a two by four moment. If, if anything, it was, it was a good moment, but, um, what are you telling people to, or to help them find their passion, right? Is it get out there and try things? Like, I'm curious because there's obviously people out there who, you know, they, they don't have that, um, that experience like you share. So I'm curious. Yeah, I definitely feel super blessed to have been called. I feel like coaching is a calling and I, you know, I answered that call when it came, but what I like to do when I'm working with people, especially in their twenties, um, because even Oprah says your twenties is the time to explore, you know, your thirties is the time to solidify the plan. So I can use this like goofy analogy. I'll just throw it at you, but I talk about it like throwing spaghetti at the wall, like really just literally throwing spaghetti at the wall. And what's the purpose of that? You're asking me, I, I yeah. would never throw spaghetti at the wall. So I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever cooked spaghetti? Of course I've cooked spaghetti. Okay, well, when you cook spaghetti, to tell if it's done, if you throw it at the wall and it's done cooking, it'll stick to the wall. I have a totally different method. That must be a Texas thing. 
What's your method? <laughs> My method is tasting it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this works. Okay. So this works. You can tell if your spaghetti's ready, if it's done, if it sticks to the wall. So this is a great analogy for when we're trying things on. Right? Throw it at the wall. See what sticks. And once you see what sticks, it transitions. And I know I'm goofy, but it transitions from throwing spaghetti at the wall to starting to play darts. And you really start to hone in and sharpen your craft. Right? And you start to go in for the, for the, for the, the little zone that you know is your zone of genius. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll throw spaghetti at the wall and we'll see what sticks. And we're like, okay, you can tell what sticks for you as a human by what feels contractive or what feels expansive. If you step into an opportunity and you step into it and it's like, God, I feel like I'm stifled. I feel like this is contractive energy for me. Like I'm having to, to, to operate in a way that doesn't feel in alignment, that doesn't feel good. That's probably not it. Right? Don't just choose it because it sounds good. Don't just choose it because it's a good resume checker. Like, actually do what lights you up. And then the same thing, like, what lights you up? It feels expansive. Like, I taught you about fulfillment. That's how I know. That's how I know how to step into my passion, how to step into my purpose, because it will feel alive for me. So then once you do that, now you're playing in the zone, okay? So you're playing darts, and you're like, okay, these little, these numbers out here, these are probably my zone of excellence, okay? I'm, I'm a great delegator. I'm great at leadership. Uh, you know, I, I have manager, managerial skills. I can write curriculum. Those are all zones of excellence, things that I can sharpen that are skill sets. But my genius is really working with people like you one-on-one and going in and moving the needle and speaking. That's my zone. It's easy. It comes effortless for me. So it's really looking into not only your zone of excellence, getting those skills sharpened, but then also feeling into like what comes easy and effortlessly that people say I'm good at. Right. I love that. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about answering the call. You said that you answered the call. Now, there have been times where I've got the call, but I've rejected it. Right. And everyone could potentially relate to that in some capacity. So what if we just don't like what we're being called to do? You know, like, obviously, we're going to face some resistance and some turbulence on that path. But, you know, what's your take on that? Uh, I think it's a couple of things. I think the first thing to do is to ask yourself why. Like, what, what frame are you looking for or looking through? And do you have a, do you have a narrative or a story around what that would look like that maybe isn't the ultimate truth? Is it just based on what, how other people did it or the past experience that you have, or can you actually consciously create whatever the heck you want it to look like? Mm. So I think that's one of the first things to explore is, is, is what you're even believing around it true. Um, and then it's one of those things like you don't know until you try. So have you even tried it on? Right. Have you, have you lived into it? If you've lived into it and you've tried it on and it feels contracted and doesn't feel good, then you know. And maybe that's not actually it. Right. So one thing that also came to mind as you were talking before, especially when you said something along the lines of resume, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might take on an opportunity just because it looks pretty on the resume. Mm-hmm. One thing that popped in my mind when you said that was living externally versus internally. And that's one thing I struggled with for and still am working through right now. And that's again, mm-hmm. transparent as fuck, but what's your advice into kind of flipping the switch on that and kind of not, it's not about just like not giving a fuck what people think about you. Um, because I always had that mm-hmm. mindset yet. I was still living externally versus internally. So like, what's mm-hmm. your, um, you know, your ideas or your thoughts on, you know, flipping the switch there. 
core values <clears throat> moving out of the need like because we have basic needs right well one of our basic needs is significance but if you value significance over contribution like you're effed because significance seeking significance really is an endless game right so that's an external but contribution is something that you get to give from the internal and the well comes from here rather than from outside of yourself so I think even just shifting like what what's my purpose here why am I even doing this and if it doesn't match up to oh I'm doing this to give back or I'm doing this because it lights me up if the answer that comes to mind is like I'm doing this for validation approval acceptance or significance that's a that's a good like eh, you're off path right you're off path right so you mentioned before that you just did a podcast episode i believe yesterday i'm curious and I'm, i know you do a bunch of these and you have a bunch more coming in your future what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it hmm. and it could even be in your coaching practice right? <laughs> I wish like, more people, what's the question i wish more people how do i get started <laughs> that's a, that's one thing i wish people would would ask themselves right like how where do i start like and, and come to me and whether that be, how do I get started with you or just how do I get started for myself? I wish more people would just ask the kickstart question that would initiate the, the change. Right. So the thing is people don't have the willingness to start though. You know, like uh, pe people don't have the willingness in general. And I, I see it firsthand. Unfortunately, I saw it very close recently. Like people just don't have the willingness to change. And I just feel like people leave it up to time in a sense to kind of just let it heal. But that's not always the case, you know. So I guess that leads me to ask, like, where does that willingness come from? How do you create it within yourself? Well, once again, this comes down to your core values and that's just someone who's not willing to change. I mean, I don't know if just, I don't know if that's a fair assessment as much as right. they're just more committed to their comfort, <laughs> mm. you know, they're just like literally more committed to their comfort. And all that tells you when you pull back the layer is that they're afraid, right? Right. They're afraid because growth and change and uncertainty when you, when you're not growing, you're, you're not dealing with what most people are coming. Like we know that growth with growth, there's challenge. Right. We know that when we step into uncertainty, that it's scary. So by not changing, we, we perceive that we're protecting ourselves. We feel like we have a sense of control in our life. Oh, everything's good. I'm in my little bubble, but it's like that, that frog that you put in the water. You probably heard this story about, you know, you put a frog in the water and you, you have that water boiling hot, you throw it in the water, it's going to hop right out, right? It's not going to sink. But if you just turn up that water one degree at a time, that frog is going to boil to death. And that's what a lot of people do because they don't recognize that sitting in their comfort is literally just going to lip, just cook them. It's just going to right. cook them because they're not growing. And when you're not growing, you're shrinking. And when you're shrinking, you're dying. I love your analogies, by the way. I've never heard that about the frog, nor have I heard that about spaghetti. <laughs> 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 I definitely okay, appreciate okay. it. Okay, well, give me okay. another one. Give me another one then. Okay, I'll give you a story. Okay, so so I think uh, an area that a lot of people get stuck, and it's easy because a lot of people are up here playing mental gymnastics. They're living in their headspace. And what's a beautiful thing to do is connect your head and your heart. You don't want to be totally led by your heart. You want to use some logic. Right? You want to operate from the speed of wisdom, not just intellect and not just 
your heart because your heart's desires can lead you astray. Your emotions can lead you astray. So you want to use them as a guidance system. You want to cross-check and, and integrate your systems, intellect, wisdom, experience, and your heart and your intuition, right? So it's just like this full alignment of all these guidance systems within you. But a lot of people ignore the gut. They don't, they, they shrink back in their desires. They don't feel worthy of what they desire. So they ignore their heart. They don't operate from wisdom. They just can, they keep repeating the same lessons over and again. And they just choose from a place of logic. And what that does is it really shrinks people. Okay. This is the finite. It's not the infinite mind. So if we're operating from our mind, we're typically operating from pros and cons and facts and circumstances. And this keeps people stuck in playing small. And it's a very masculine way of thinking. And that's not a dig on, on anything because we all have masculine and feminine energy. But we want to integrate that masculine and feminine. So my story is um, is about is a, is a is kind of a, a way to help you to think about how you can move beyond the facts and circumstances of your life into the land of solution because you can never get to the solution from the same level of thinking as the problem. So this was bad. This is a true story. It was back in the 1970s, and it's basically about a a family-owned barbershop. It was a dad and a son that this had been passed on three generations and they were running this barbershop, but the son had gone off to grad school for the summer and he was going to come back over the summer, but he had been there all year and he was finishing up his semester. And when he came back, um, actually, let me tell you about the barbershop because this is kind of cute. So the barbershop had a little donut shop in it, had coffee. Like it was well known in the community. Like this has been there for a while it was well established and they had always been successful. But at this time, this is when those like little pop-ups were coming, right? right? So there was some competition moving in. And the son wasn't aware of this. So when he moved back, he could just tell something was really off with his dad. His energy, like just his enthusiasm about things. Like it just his spark and passion for what they had been doing just wasn't there. And he finally just sat him down and was like, no, dad, like what's going on for real? Like you got to talk to me. He said, no. And he's like, you don't even want to know. And he said, no, like you can, you can talk to me. So he opened up to him and he said, well, he said, based, I've crunched the numbers and based on my projections, we are going to be bankrupt within the next month. He said, there's a, a new barbershop just down the street and they've got $6 haircuts and I cannot compete with $6 haircuts. Well, what was interesting is the son at college was studying Napoleon Hill and he was studying the power of a mastermind. And that's actually how we met in New York, right? Is doing a mastermind group. And we both know that when you come together, right? When two come together, and even says in the Bible, when two come together, you get, you tap in and tune into infinite intelligence. Like divine downloads can come through a whole slew of ideas that you could never have come up on or come up with just on your own, start to come into the space. So he's like, okay, I have an idea. He's like, there is no problem out there without a solution. By Fundamentally, by law, there is a solution to every problem. So let's just sit down and let's crunch the numbers again. And let's, let's just get a pen and paper. And no matter what, we're just going to brain dump. We're just going to go through as many solutions as possible. And I posted about this yesterday, but the dad was so committed. He was so committed to his limitations, man. And he was just arguing for those limitations. And as long as you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. So the son would throw out one idea and the dad was like, no, I already tried that. Like the son would be like, let's advertise. And he's like, I already did. And I've already lost money. And we're just, we're just going down or we're sinking. Like just every solution the son had, the dad had something to, to throw back at him. He's like, I can't compete with $6 haircuts. You know that we can't even pay the bills with $6 haircuts. Right. So they, he said, just stick with me. Let's just, let's just try. And finally they came up with an idea and the son went back to school after the summer. Dad was implementing and uh, 
one day he calls he calls his dad just check in hey dad like how's it going how's the plan going you wouldn't believe it the dad said he's like i have we've doubled we've doubled our profit margins you know what they did what they do they put a sign outside of their barbershop that said we fix six dollar haircuts so there's always a solution there's a solution to every problem right and we get so caught up in the facts and circumstances of life that we 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 limit ourselves we don't think beyond so we have to start to move into the land of solution and we can do that by enlisting support by getting somebody else to bring a new perspective right and by simply opening up our mind to the possibility that there is an answer Right. I love this. Mm-hmm. Tell me the other story, the fisherman story that you were just telling me about in our little <laughs> okay. uh, break. So that, okay. So that story about the haircuts is really about recognizing that by enlisting support, right? And by opening up your mind to the solutions that it's there. The support is always ready available. There's always a way. There's a solution to every problem. So that's a fundamental belief about moving past circumstance. But this is a really good one. So just to kind of frame this, most people... Think about what's possible for the future based on their current circumstances. When I do vision casting with people, the number one question I ask is, what would you love? And it kind of stuns people. It stops them in their tracks because nobody ever asked them that before. They've never asked themselves that before. They think about, well, what does my bank account say is possible? What is my, you know, what does my education say is possible? What does my experience say is possible? So most people limit their future based on where they're at. And that's not what vision casting is about. Vision casting is about thinking big. So the story, um, and I probably should have told you that after the story. So (laughs) so I don't know if it's necessary, but here's just a good analogy, I guess. So there were two guys, they were fishing. One is an elderly man, and this is just his lifestyle, right? He's out there fishing every single day. And then you have this young 20-something, old probably around here, he's just a millennial out there thinking that he's going to go out there and kill it, crush it with his new fishing pole. And he's watching this elderly guy just like reeling fish after fish after fish. And he is not catching Jack. But he's also noticed something. He's like super bizarre. When he was like watching out his peripheral, he saw that every time he would catch a fish, the elderly man, when he catch a fish, he would take it and he had this broken off ruler and he would measure the fish against the broken off ruler. And every time the fish was bigger than the ruler, he would throw it back. Every single time he'd throw it back. So then the kid is like, okay, I'm going to go ask him. First of all, I'm, I need to know how he's catching fish. Like what base is this guy using? And then he's like, and I also need to know what the heck he's doing. Like he's not grateful for these fish. What the heck? So he goes and asks him and the guy's like, you see this, honey, this ruler, this is the exact same size as my frying pan at home. I broke it off. So every fish I measure up against this ruler, and if it's too big, I throw it back. It's ridiculous, right? So the kid's looking at him like, that's crazy. Okay, so what's your bait, at least? Just tell me your bait. I'm probably not going to follow that advice, but you're at least catching them. So he gets some worms, he goes back. And we kind of look at that and we're like, what? Like, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody take a big fish and throw it back because it doesn't fit their frying pan. But we do that all the time in our life. We do it with our opportunities. We do it with relationships. We do it with, you know, so we bring in, you bring in a hot girl. She seems amazing. She's got all the lists. And then you're like, oh, no, I'm not ready for that. Or, you know, somebody comes and they say, hey, I think you'd be great for this opportunity. I'm not saying you specifically, but a lot of people will, will shrink back and they'll think, I'm not good enough. Like, I don't have any qualifications for that. Like, who am I to do something like that? right? The big fish could also just be the calling. Like you talked about, you get that nudge inside and that's a big grandiose vision. Yeah. And you're like, nope, nope. Too big. Doesn't fit my current frying pan. 
this is so crazy. This is I can, go, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go so ahead. this is this is why it, this all comes back to the upper limit conversation we were having earlier. That's a self sabotage. Throwing the fish back is self sabotage. So in order to to move beyond that, we have to be committed to expanding our capacity. You're damn right. The life that you have right now, the person that you are right now cannot hold, not even energetically, not even, not even experience wise can hold the life that you're calling in. If you're dreaming big enough, you're not ready. If you were, you'd already be there. So this is all about consistently committing to expanding your capacity to receive and hold joy, love, prosperity, success, and abundance in your life as you inspire others to do the same. And what that really takes is courage. We think it takes confidence. No, confidence comes after courage. Confidence comes in the action of moving through the discomfort of moving past your comfort zone. So as you move past the comfort zone, you stretch this a little bit more and the opportunity can leak in. You stretch this a little bit more and more opportunity can leak in, right? So it's not about shrinking your vision or shrinking the opportunity to your frying pan or your current circumstance. It's about stretching yourself beyond what you think is possible. Right. Getting a new fucking frying pan. That's the real answer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, cool. I have a few more questions for you. I know I want to respect your time. We've been running for about 45 minutes now. What do you feel like was a piece of advice that drastically changed your life? Something that was so monumental that, you know, things just changed after that. And maybe it took some time. Give me two. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one, one is the CEO perspective, compassionate, empowered observer perspective. And what this showed me and taught me is that I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my feelings I'm not my emotions. I'm not my actions that I'm actually a higher, like I have a higher self within me and I can zoom out into a compassionate, empowered observer standpoint and recognize that if I see myself do something that I don't like, that doesn't align for me, rather than getting into my inner critic and beating myself up and feeling like shit, right? I can zoom out and hold compassion. Number one, compassion. Love is so important. Love yourself so, so compassion. I can be empowered. Why? Because it's a new point of awareness. I'm like, oh dang, did I really just do that? Let's not do that again, right? So I can be empowered and I'm observing it. I'm not identifying with it. And that was huge for me because I, when I failed and when I did things that I didn't, that I wasn't proud of, I, I took it on as my identity. Like I felt like, oh, because I was feeling anger, I was an angry person. Or because I had failures, I was a failure. So the CEO perspective allowed me to detach myself from feelings and, and actions and recognize that I'm actually way, way, way bigger than that. Right? Like I'm an infinite being. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. And when I zoom out, I can recognize that my little human here, it's a little meat suit, it dealt with some, some, some heavy stuff growing up. And I'm still moving through that. And that's okay. I'm going to hold space and compassion for her. But I'm also going to hold her accountable to stepping into the highest, higher self. That's that empowerment stage. So that. that's one. And then um, the power of the pivot. This is, this is huge. Business, life. We got to see it a lot in COVID. I mean, it, it's everything. Just don't pick up your dribble. Pivot. If you fail, if you, if you have a misstep, make sure that your next step is your better step, right? So it's all about just recognizing that you got to keep moving and that anything, every failure you have can be a stepping stone to success. Every failure you have can actually be leveraged. And it just is, it's, it's a, the ability to not stop, not stall, not freeze, right? To pick up your pivot and choose where you want to go from there, to use it and say, okay, here's a lesson. Let's leverage that. And now we're going to go this direction. Mm. 
I love that. So what is a piece of it? And I appreciate you sharing two of them there. I, I, there's no rules here, right? So like, I'm, I'm grateful for both of them. Uh, what do you feel like is a piece of advice that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but ended up proving to be true over time? Mm, probably, um, probably, okay, two things again. Um, probably that, that rejection was just a part of it. Like nobody wants to, like, it's just a part of life. Like you will be rejected. You're going to be rejected in sales. You're going to be rejected in business. You're going to be rejected in relationships. You're going to be rejected by family members. And, you know, we think that, oh, it's them. Like, how could they be that way? But really it's just like rejection is God's protection. And, you know, recognizing that it's just a fundamental piece of life and having to accept that, that was something I was like, no, I want to be accepted. I'm working so hard to be accepted and loved and all this stuff. Like, why, why does this have to still be a thing? Like, am I not good enough? Was the story. So recognizing that my worth had absolutely nothing to do with, um, with the fact that people were rejecting, right? And that that's just a thing. It's just, it happens. Yeah. So accepting that was something I didn't want to do, but then I decided I would because when you accept, you believe suffering. So that was good. And then um, the other thing that I, I wasn't too keen on that I absolutely love now, but it was soliciting feedback. I didn't like it at first because I wasn't getting very positive feedback, <laughs> you know? Like I, uh, I even have called some exes at one point in time and said, hey, how did I show up in this relationship? Like tell me, what did I do well? What what like what was it good? And, you know, I heard some hard truths. I heard some hard truths from friends, from family, from uh, previous partners. And it, it wasn't fun, but I grew from it. And now I'm like, give me it. Give me the feedback. It's gold. Like I want to know. And I do check-ins with my partner. You know, we don't sometimes daily, but weekly. Like, how am I doing? You know, how am I doing? I want to know. I ask my clients, like, how am I doing? How can I serve you better? You know, I ask people in my programs, like, give me feedback. Like, let me know if you see a gap, tell me. And that was something I was afraid of before because once again, what was I making it mean about me? Well, if I have, if I have a flaw because I've got this mask of perfectionism on, well, if somebody finds me out and they see me, then that means I'm not good enough or I'm not going to be accepted I'm not, or I'm going to be rejected. So it's just moving past the ego and recognizing that none of this was about me anyway. So the feedback helps right. me to be a better service. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you actually do that in your relationship. Like, I, I know we've ran for some time, so I'm not going to bring up relationships here. <laughs> but, but we did have an awesome episode when you were in New York on relationships, which is yeah, golden. Okay. So that's very appreciated. But last question for you, and there is a rule to this one. You could only give one this time. And the question okay. is, if you were hopping on podcasts, hopping on stages, writing books, doing all this amazing stuff, coaching, coaching people, if you could only give one piece of advice for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mm. you gotta know who you are in god's eyes is what i would say know and who operate. you are in god's eyes yeah and operate from that belief what does that mean that means that you you're perfectly and wonderfully made that means that um you know that you've got grace on your side that nothing you've done even matters up until this point. It's all just here for your evolution and your growth. The grace is already there. The forgiveness is already done, you know, and you are loved unconditionally. That's who you are in God's eyes. You are loved. 
you are worthy, you are accepted. So like knowing that that's who you are in God's eyes and then you operating from that belief, like it doesn't really matter how every other human shows up to you because your worth is so grounded in the truth of who you are. Right. I love that. I absolutely love it. I've loved this conversation with you. I could talk to you for another three days straight here. Um, I'm, I'm going to make sure all of your social handles, websites, et cetera, is in the show notes of this episode. But tell me, what do you have going on that we might want to make people aware of? Uh, well, it's closed now. So I guess my confidence catalyst program, but I'll be rerunning it again, probably next quarter. So be on the lookout for that. Ladies, Confidence Catalyst is a five-week intensive. Uh, but business consulting, I've been loving stepping into that. And as well as I've been coaching coaches. I've been mentoring coaches and really helping sharp, sharpen their skill set around leadership and just their actual coaching abilities. You know, a lot of times people get certified on the principles or they get a lot of content or they have all their experience, but they don't actually know how to move people and get results. So I've been having a lot of fun mentoring coaches. Awesome. Great stuff. Mm -hmm. Ashton, listen, I appreciate you again. I want to say thank you and express my gratitude for you taking the time out of your day to hop on here. Yeah, it was great. I had fun. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, from Ashton Cantu herself. Now, as mentioned in the way, way, way early stages of this episode, I put out a request to make sure that you're connecting with Ashton and you could do so through the show notes of this episode. All of her social links, her website, all that good stuff can be found there. And I'm pretty sure you realize why I threw that out there in the beginning of this episode. Now, she is jam packed with value and experiences that are vulnerable and relatable to say the absolute least. And she is a vessel. She that's there's no other word to describe her. She is an absolute vessel. She's someone that I work with. She's someone that my friends have worked with, my close mastermind friends nonetheless. So make sure you're reaching out to her. Stay connected. She puts out content that's totally free and super valuable to top it all off. Again, you can find all of her stuff in the show notes of this episode. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, be blessed. Peace.